When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Toby Football Show. Today, Premier League Match Day 5. We celebrate City's new doco and Duran's goals on film. And check out the other big stories at Bournemouth, where team with billions against team with billings ends all square. And Old Trafford, where the visitors don't brighten the home fans' mood. All the key bits from all the weekend's games, plus topless Nathan Jones in this Totally Football Show. Hello everybody, it's Sunday 17th of September mostly, maybe Monday 18th for you listener, uh, three days anyway until Earth, Wind and Fire Day. Uh, we've got Matt Davis-Adams here with us, fresh back from Commons on Bournemouth, Chelsea. Mm. Mm. Back from? Yep. Maybe not fresh. Perhaps not. Via the technology, Laurie Whitwell. Hello Laurie. Hi guys, how you doing? Pretty good. And Daniel Story as well. Hello Daniel. Hi, James. Excellent. Did you did you enjoy the weekend, Daniel? Yes, I did. Uh, Saturday was, I think it's fair to say, non-controversially better than Sunday. Yes. Um, but yeah, I like I like three ones, especially three ones uh, with some kind of nip and tuck, and we had a lot of that on Saturday. Three ones with nip and tuck. What do you mean by nip and tuck? Well, we had a team coming from behind to to right, win three right. one. So that was Man them, City and Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, I, I I thought it was a good weekend, but it, a kind of cementing the fears we had about lots of teams weekend, I think. Probably. I see. What was your favourite bit of the weekend, Matt? Oh, crikey. Uh, favourite bit of the weekend. Kind of thin on the ground, if I'm perfectly honest, but yeah. I really like the way... What was your least favourite bit of the weekend? Oh, I'll, I'll take my favourite bit. Uh, right. Two, two favourite bits, actually. One, mm. which is very, very minor, which no one else is going to pick, which is Tarek Lamptey playing football regularly again and playing really well at Old Trafford. Uh, I've always been a big fan of his and he's missed effectively nearly two seasons uh, injured. I think he's missed 47 games in the last three seasons. So to see him playing, setting up two goals, playing at left back when he's a right back, I really enjoyed that. But also the way that John Duran got his leg slash hip up so high over that volley to crash it in. That is one of my most uh, aesthetically pleasing type of goals to score. So to see that was um, was a buzz, even if we'd have to put up with the, with the puns. The puns. Mm. Yeah. Laurie, your favourite bit? Favourite bit? Well, I was at Old Trafford on Saturday yes. and um, for large parts of that you had to just admire Brighton uh, as much touched on there Lamptey I think was, was really good but also you know Danny Welbeck on his return again to Old Trafford loves scoring against United um, from a United perspective there was a brief moment of positivity when Rasmus Hoyland scored on his debut and then VAR intervened for the second time in two games over a matter of millimetres to rule out uh, United joy so that was short-lived and yeah the ultimate result being that Eric Ten Hag He's facing some pressure and uh, United are edging towards crisis. Mm. All right. We're going to hear about that pressure. We're going to hear about that crisis edging business as well. <laughs> My favourite bit, just to say, was that I've been trying to work out for ages who Andoni Iriola reminds me of. And it's, for me, he should be saying, throw me the idol. Alfred Molina out of uh, Raiders. Um. Okay, I, yeah. I was trying to work out who you re- reminded me of too, but I don't know who no that time. is. So it's no not time, no time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I'll get on to the results then. Saturday, City beat West Ham 3-1. They stayed two points clear of Liverpool, who beat Wolves by the same scoreline. Spurs, who survived a bit of a scare against Sheffield United. And Arsenal, who ended their Goodison hoodoo Sunday afternoon. Brighton beat Man United up 3-1 at Old Trafford. They're up to fifth. Newcastle ended their losing streak with a 1-0 win over Brentford. It was 3-1 for Villa against Palace. Fulham beat Luton 1-0 to put the Hatters bottom. And the other game on Sunday saw Bournemouth holding Chelsea to a goalless draw. Have I missed out anything in that? Apparently not. All right then, let's move on. Where are we going to begin? How about Everton Arsenal? This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Oh God. 
set it for Vieira. Zinchenko, Odegaard, Saka, Trossard scores! Oh, that's sharp! Everton Arsenal freshest in our minds because it's just concluded on this Sunday evening. Uh, a 1-0 victory for the Gunners who had Leandro Trossard to thank for finally breaking the deadlock. Who wants a bash at this one? Daniel? Yeah, my... It's frustrating watching Everton anyway because it's Everton and it's always frustrating watching Everton. But they seem to come up with this plan which is just to be really resolute in defence and kind of sticky in central midfield. So they pick three central midfielders in Adrissa Gay and Abelai Decore and uh, Onana, none of whom really pass the ball forwards. So... I think Beto and, I was just working this out, Beto and Danjuma played a combined 155 minutes and had 35 touches between them. That is not very many. That that means that an Everton attacking player touched the ball once every five minutes on, a, on average. It was horrible. And I can see the methodology in that plan because you want to keep it tight. You don't want to get knocked out of the game. But when you then end up losing another home game 1-0, just like you did against Wolves... <sighs> It just feels so uninspiring. And I know there is noise around Everton with the takeover this week, but I, I don't think that will provide huge rays of sunlight, if I'm honest. And it just all feels really dispiriting. Mm. Arsenal played pretty well, but all you need to do is just be a little bit better than Everton at the moment, and that's enough. And that's all right, it was enough to keep Arsenal in that pack of teams just behind Man City, the goal coming uh, late on through a corner. They'd had plenty of tries at this one, Matt. Mm, yes, very satisfying for you and I, James, to be sat in the studio with producer Charlie lamenting them trying the same corner again just as they were scoring the goal from the corner and then him having to say, oh, actually, that was really well worked, wasn't mm. it? Yeah, yeah, it was a lovely finish, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, mm. really good goal from, from Trossard who'd come on for um, the injured Martinelli who thought he'd scored uh, and then caused some opprobrium about the drawing of lines, etc. when it turned out that uh, actually he hadn't. Indeed. So what what about the drawing of lineups, if you'll permit? Were Arsenal fans was our Arsenal fan here? Was he happy about the fact that Kai Havertz was no longer in the lineup and did the team work better as a result? Uh it certainly looked that way, didn't it? But uh, again, you have to put into account the, the moderate opposition that they were facing. And I think whether Havertz was playing or not, Arsenal would have won this game anyway. I, I have a theory that Everton are uh, the worst team to support in English football, as in you are. If you are an Everton supporter, you've got the rawest deal of any team in English football, and I think this was uh, gave some more credence to that theory. Why would you say that? Matt? Because the football's dreadful. Mm. You're always going to be in the shadow of your rivals. Never going to be better than them. There's this expectation that Everton are going to finish between seventh and ninth every season, which they haven't done for ages, and they're not likely to do. Uh, they're always in the top divisions. They don't even get the relegation where you go down, then win a few games and come back up again. Mm. It just feels like a totally joyless experience. <laughs> do you feel that that last point may not be valid after next May? I kind of hope so, to be honest. Not just because it would be refreshing to see Everton in the Championship, but because right. I think it, there is a, genuinely a case where it could do them some good. I know mm. financial ruin, etc. and so on. But if you can bounce back at the first time of asking, that can be mitigated. I'm not convinced that the stadium's going to be ready for the start of next season anyway. Uh, the you know takeover being up in the air, etc. I think, yeah. Get a season in the championship, freshen things up a bit. Don't have to keep bringing in firefighters, getting rid of the firefighters, bringing in big names, them not working, bringing in another firefighter and just this rinse and repeat cycle that leads to perpetual misery. I think they need a clean break. Go down, start again. OK, what they have got, as Daniel was mentioning, is American investment firm 777, who've got their fingers in football pies all over Europe uh, with varying degrees of success, apparently now signing an agreement with Farah Mashiri to take over his shares of Everton. Uh, how far along the line are we with that? Well, it, it's open to um, FA acceptance, uh, passing the ownership and directors test, um, meeting the various requisite caveats that they need to. They're confident they will do, and I suspect that there wouldn't have been an announcement if they weren't very, you know, almost sure that that would go through. Um, but I think. Everton, Everton fans have been campaigning for a long, long time for a change of ownership at the top of the club. And the fact that you what you didn't get at Goodison today, any degree really of kind of outpouring of cheer or kind of relief even, 
probably tells you all you need to know about the the kind of potential frying pan to fire journey they're about to make. Uh, but the reality is is that they're not an attractive football club to own if you're a perfect owner or an owner without rough edges, shall we say, because they're trying to build a massively expensive stadium. They've spent a huge amount of money, which is limiting their spending and the team's not very good. And nobody's really sure which direction the club should or can move in easily. So to kind of reiterate Matt's point, only Everton could get the takeover they wanted and it still not lead to any degree of widespread happiness. All right, well, we'll hear more about that deal in the days to come, whatever that might represent. Meantime, other teams in crisis. Laurie, you're up next as we reach our... Is it all over bar the schadenfreude department? I think that works. Uh, I've got Chelsea and Man United in here. Chelsea stumbling again earlier on Sunday, this time at Bournemouth. Man United faring even worse against another, another seaside side getting beaten by Brighton. Uh, Chelsea and United now 13th and 14th. Uh, nine and ten points off the top of the table and six and seven points off the top four. That's that's quite a margin. I know we're early on, but that's quite a margin to come back from, Laurie. Yeah, big chasm. Um, three defeats in the first five league games in the Premier League era for Manchester United. Uh, an unwanted record for Eric Ten Hag. Um, yeah, they, they kind of suffer similar uh, issues, United and Chelsea, I think, at the moment, in, in different ways in that you've got uh, an ownership structure at Chelsea that is kind of, you know, so fascinated by signing players and selling players and almost just doing deals for the sake of doing deals that you've then got a load of players how do you fit them all together how can you get any kind of unity and progress and then sort of on the other end of the spectrum uh, an ownership structure that's kind of disinterested with that that takes forever to make a decision but then creates this sort of situation where the manager ultimately loses a bit of authority over time because the players, you know, if they dislike him, they know that, you know, they'll probably outlast him and um, there's not going to be that regeneration that you have at clubs that are really proactive, you know, like a Man City, uh, where, you know, if Pep Guardiola falls out with a player, he gets sold and and they bring a a replacement in of of as good a standard, if not better. So, I mean, I I said edging towards crisis. Can you edge towards a crisis? Are you plunged into a crisis? I don't know what the kind of right verb for that is, but it certainly feels with all the off-field issues as well that Ten Hag's facing that it's difficult to see how they plot a a way through this with any kind of real um, momentum. Uh, yeah, and uh, I don't know to touch on the Schadenfreude. I suppose that's you know they've got Bayern Munich up next, and um, <laughs> and and Harry Kane, and you know you can you can bet your bottom dollar that he's scoring in that game, can't you? Well, indeed. Do, do you you would suggest in there that the players feel they're going to outlast the manager there, which I guess is generally what happens at a, at a club. But do, do you think that time might be ticking for for Ten Hag? I don't think we're there yet, just because they've backed him so much, you know. Jaden Sancho is the latest um, incident. Um, you know they've backed him up on that in terms of the disciplinary procedure. Um, you know he's out, not even training with the first team, changing in the academy building. Um, Ronaldo was obviously a huge figure before that that Ten Hag wanted out, and they and they backed him up on David de Gea. You know another one where they've kind of changed what they were you know offering him um, at the end of last season, and and he was then ushered towards the exit. So these are big calls that they've backed uh, Eric Ten Hag on, and obviously they've you know they have ultimately spent money on these players that he's got in his squad uh, but I just I feel like because he is a disciplinarian and the rules that he wants to instill you, you're going to have some friction along the way and, and maybe players think well you listen uh, you know Ole Gunnar Solskjaer you know, you know he, he ultimately uh, paid with his job you know Ralph Ranier with an interim manager Jose Mourinho was a disciplinarian he ultimately uh, was sacked you know in the same year that he got a new contract it's a different football structure now um, football director John Murtagh I think he's very much wedded to Everett Ten Hag so if it goes wrong, you know he will also face scrutiny. So I don't think they're in any rush to to move on from Eric Ten Hag at all. And he had a good season last year, you know, getting into the Champions League places and winning a trophy. Um, I think that was beyond what people would have expected going into the season. Um, but now it's th- there's issues there that um, I think if you know they 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 do continue to struggle, then you know the, ultimately the the pressure will increase. But I think that would be a bad thing for United just because I think Ten Hag is a manager who joined the club on an upward trajectory who had proven himself as a as a winning manager in, in Ajax and, and the places that he'd been before. Um and ultimately all stems you know goes back to the ownership and, and the fact that we've gone nine months with a takeover process where there still doesn't seem to be any resolution in sight. And that just right. creates uncertainty and drift that, that falls down throughout the rest of the club. 
Mm. Well, we'll get some listeners thoughts on United in a second or two, but but before that, Brighton though, you, you were there at Old Trafford. What what were your thoughts on the Seagulls' performance as they became the first English team to win? a visiting team to win at Old Trafford since, well, themselves on the opening yeah. day of last season. <laughs> 31 games at Old Trafford United hadn't lost, you know, in all competitions. So it was a, I think that's like, you know, in the fifth or sixth best run ever um, at Old Trafford uh, for the club. So yeah, Brighton obviously have their number. Um, they were brilliant, you know. they United actually started really well. Um, first 15, 20 minutes, Eric Tanaga picked a diamond midfield so that they had... Uh, Hoyland and, and Rashford up top you know we're all sort of questioning what's he going to do with the right wing with Anthony and Jaden Sancho out well he's not going to play a right winger he's um he's going to shift formations and and that actually you know pushed Brighton back and it was difficult for them to, to pass out like we know they're they're so good at but then De Zerbi made a bit of a tweet made the centre-backs uh, stretch wider across the pitch uh, and that disrupted what United could do Rashford, Hoyland, Fernandes weren't quite being able to close down as, as they did previously and then Brighton were able to pass out and they, they were just so composed on the ball um, picking their way through I think United were really disappointing defensively that they're quite soft uh, to play against United they're, they've got one of the worst um, goals against record I think they're third third highest goals against the Premier League so far this season um, but but Brighton knew exactly what buttons to press and, and this is a Brighton team that had six changes from the, the win over Newcastle you know he rested Esther Pinion wasn't even in the squad after his internationals Ferguson was on the bench after a hat trick he came on and, and you know, promptly had a shot on target and then got Hannibal booked for uh, running through midfield and uh, you know he, he drew a foul so they've got talent all over the pitch but they fit together so nicely and they all know their roles and responsibilities and Deserby's a real quality manager and yeah. you can see why people are talking about him as a potential successor to Pep Guardiola. Kieran Maguire pointing out that five of the players in Brighton's starting 11 cost absolutely nothing. The total value, according to Kieran, of the 11 uh, with which they started was 17 million, slightly less than the 347 million that <laughs> that United's starting lineup uh, cost them to put together. It was Danny Welbeck, uh, one of those, I think zero cost purchases who opened the scoring and then how about Daniel how about Pascal Gross's shimmy for the second yeah to repeat the famous line uh, sending Lissandro Martinez like a fire engine to the wrong fire yeah he um, we kind of eternally surprised that what we consider to be decent level footballers and that's I think where Brighton sit in terms of Premier League ranking are able to do these things to expensive players but yeah that that's what coaching does you know you don't rise to that level unless you're an exceptional footballer and what generally brings you out above that level is what your coach does with you and you know someone like the, the astonishing one for me is Adam Lallana I mean he's 35 years old he's playing in central midfield he he, he didn't really play very much at Liverpool during his last years there and we kind of assumed that his career was on the way and he, he's been helping coaching the England under-21s over the international break because he's got one eye on that. Um, he's coaching Brighton under-23s a bit as well so he's kind of working on his badges there and yet he's starting central midfield at Old Trafford and running the show as well, like just in between. It's absolutely astonishing, it really is. And it is a, a triumph of of the coaching work done, not just by De Zerbi, but by, by Graham Potter, because it's the system in which they operate that allows them to do that. It's, it's, it's every stakeholder at the club facing the right way. And, you know, as Laurie knows only too well, that's basically the opposite of Man United at the moment. Mm. Brighton have their first ever European game on Thursday. They'll be taking on AK Athens. As uh, for United again, and Ten Hag receiving boozes is right, Laurie, kind of for the first time. Since his arrival at Old Trafford, this on his decision to take off Rasmus Hoyland over kind of fitness concerns, whether he had 90 minutes in his leg for uh, Anthony Martial. Uh, Ten Hag in general, though, you mentioned the the tweak that De Zerbi had made. Should Ten Hag not have tweaked back? Yes, yeah, a question that we were kind of asking ourselves in the press box. Um I mean, maybe he felt that he couldn't really do all that much more. Um, it's, I suppose it's quite a straightforward tweet to make to sell, tell your centre-backs to, to go further apart. And, and clearly, they, those are guys that know then what to do in those situations. I mean, Lewis Dunk's been brilliant at explaining how many uh, patterns they have in their minds when they're passing out from the back and, and how they know how to react to certain situations. So for them, it would have just been, OK, we've, we've tried plan A, let's go to plan B. For United, it's not, they don't have a a rule book like that at the moment uh, with the new players that are coming in with the kind of uh, makeshift nature of the team. But yeah, I, I would have thought that maybe start of the second half, he could have 
switched it back to his usual formation, you know, four, two, three, one, get a, get a bit of width on there. But it, it was until I think like the 85th minute when he then sort of changed it to, I think it was a back three with, with wing backs really, when it was Garnacho and Palistri uh, on the wing backs. And the Garnacho element actually is interesting as well, just sort of uh, as a sort of side issue to the, the Hoyland boos and it was very much the fans reacting because they'd thought Hoyland had done really well and they couldn't I guess understand why he was being brought off but as Tenag explained afterwards he was always going to play 60 minutes with his the back issue that he uh, arrived at the club with um, but Garnacho was sort of warming up and we've had this before with United fans where they've sung his name want, you know they want him on the pitch to excite and he you know goes forward um, and then he was kind of <laughs> responding to that I think he was kind of encouraging it a little bit and so that's one aspect where I think Tenag has wanted to kind of you know, keep Garnacho back a little bit. He wants to make him really earn it and, and make sure that he's going to carry out his instructions. But yeah, I do think that he could have changed it earlier than he did do. Mm. I mentioned listeners' thoughts. Mr. Marco UK says, can we have two analyses of the current United? One where we pretend Mourinho is still the manager and one with the current state with the genius Ten Hag. I think what Mr. Marco is saying there is that if it was Mourinho with a performance like this, it would very much be the manager's fault. Uh, other comments Brian Hora worse than last season in every position on the pitch wonderful stuff from ETH and Christopher Dowdle meanwhile pointing a finger at Onana saying has he made Man United worse or is it the midfield and defence which has left him exposed it feels he concedes all shots I think the difference with Jose was was that he also was in this situation and very much making it about himself and how he was being wronged by the club and it felt right. like a favour, you know. So, so Ten Hag's not gone that way yet. I mean, he, he's very much, you know, he has criticised the players, but he's also, you know, it feels like he's working very hard to try and rectify the situation. Um, Onana did make a very good save against Ansu Fati, to be fair. It could have been 4-1. It was one-on-one. Um, he, he does have this slightly odd... Uh, technique. I'd need to ask a goalkeeping coach really to to know the the fullest reason for it. But he he's, does stand quite far back. I suppose it allows him more time maybe to react to the shot, um, whatever that happens to be. Um, but yeah, I suppose he's not quite. I mean, the Jao Pedro one, he, he should have saved. It sort of went through his hands, and then you're going to get this, aren't you? The the inevitable comparisons to David de Gea and you know, the, the kind of wonderful saves that he made at times. And we haven't really seen the true benefit of Onana's ability to play out from the back. I mean, he had a lot of passes against Arsenal. They didn't really do all that much. And he had a few diagonals to, to the wings. Um, but it, it, and I don't I don't put that on him, actually. I put that more on the setup. And, and you know, as the uh, listener mentioned, you know, the kind of midfield issues, you know, Casemiro's not looking anything like he did last season. Um, so I would still have some hope that the Onana uh, signing will prove to be a good one. All right, good stuff. Uh, any last thoughts on Brighton before we... Move on to uh, all the excitements at the Vitality. Daniel. Just a, sh- a shameless plug that I've, I've written a big long read this week. Not about their rise over the last decade, but about uh, how their fans saved the club in the 90s, because that's really the story of this. Like, it's not just the, their ability to get all their kind of everything facing the right way now. It's that this came out of a club basically almost going out of existence. It's, it is the most incredible, maybe I suppose if you're of a Leicester persuasion, you might argue with me, but it is the most incredible story in English football in the last 20, 30 years, I think. Mm-hmm. One point off the top four currently. A lot further down are Chelsea after they got held to a nil-nil draw with Bournemouth. Matt, you were commentating all over this game. Mm. You had, I mean, it was goalless, but there was plenty to talk about. Yeah, there was. I mean, there, there was a big kind of whiff of post-international break game about it, certainly in, in some of the performances. You look at people like Enzo Fernandez, who'd been playing in the altitude of La Paz on Tuesday and then comes back and surprisingly looks absolutely goosed during this game. Um, but it was kind of classic. Graham Potter era, Chelsea, a lot of it, you know, having, having all of the ball, having a fair number of attempts on goal, hit the woodwork twice on a different day. You know, they, they could have won the game perhaps, but neither team really deserved that. I don't mm. think it was, it was just two teams who look as though they're not used to what their new managers want from them yet. Chelsea do have the mitigation of injuries, but then it comes back to the argument of if you spend a billion pounds, you should probably be able to patch together a decent squad and, and not have a bench comprised of two goalkeepers and, and four under-21 players. Right, you were hitting the Wikipedia hard on that Chelsea bench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is not something that the Chelsea TV commentator should admit, I suppose. But when Alex Matos was named, 
I, I literally did not know who he was and had right. to look up that he'd been signed from Norwich in the summer, okay. apparently. So good on him. I was disappointed Ronnie Stutter didn't get on because I'd like to just say that name as often as possible. But yeah, R Ronnie Stutter was amongst the subs. Very much a Bob Mortimer, a name out of the Bob Mortimer's <laughs> school, isn't it, Ronnie Stutter? Or, or an East End gangster, I think. Like, <laughs> you don't yeah. want to owe Ronnie Stutter money because he'll make you pay. <laughs> wow. uh, next up, ooh, let's talk about the teams at the top. Hi everyone, David Ornstein here, and I want to tell you about The Athletic's new bite-sized podcast, The Daily Football Briefing. If you're one of those people who are just too busy for a regular length podcast in the morning, this is right up your street. In just over 10 minutes, we'll bring you bang up to date with the biggest stories in football, all before you've finished your first coffee of the day. It'll be Matt Slater on a club's ongoing takeover saga, our club experts reflecting on big overnight matches, and let's be honest, me explaining those transfer stories that just won't go away. That's the Daily Football Briefing, every weekday morning, available wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pearce, Ollie Kay and the very best football writers around. At the top of the Premier League after five rounds, Man City. Uh, they won 3-1 at West Ham. Liverpool also 3-1 winners at Wolves. Spurs a late, late 2-1 win for them at home to Sheffield United. Well, in all three games, the bigger team conceded first. Should we start with uh, the, the events at Molyneux where Wolves took the lead through Huang but then saw Liverpool run riot after... Was there a tactical shift? Was there a tweak here as well by Jurgen Klopp? Well, he yeah, he kind of... I thought he would cement the midfield. He actually made them more attacking. He, he put on Luis Diaz and kind of took the game to Wolves and hoped that he could pin them back. I think there is a thought with Gary O'Neill from his time at Bournemouth that if he had a flaw last season, it was that he tends to sit on leads after half-time. Uh, Wolves were brilliant in the first half and, in fairness to O'Neill, should have been two or three up if they could finish their chances, which is same old story with Wolves. Um, but Liverpool really were good in that second half. I think if they can find a way of getting Nunes and Salah on the pitch in the same time and keep Salah central, so have him around the penalty area as well, then you see that kind of one-touch passing. And it looks really good. Uh, it, it makes a difference. And they just cause panic in the in the Wolves box. Um, I think Wolves were kind of caught between houses towards the end when they were, you know, there was that one from Jose Sarwe kind of gets the ball in his hand. He's like, oh, I want to do a break. We want to do a break. And he just sort of tries to release it and just gives the ball away. And that ends up being the second goal. And Wolves are classic Wolves, unfortunately. They, they don't finish their chances and then they make enough mistakes that punish themselves for missing those chances. And Klopp, Klopp was right to sort of praise the depth of squad that he's got you know comparing who they brought on to the to the Chelsea bench that I mentioned Daniel says Diaz Canate Gravenberg Nunes and Elliot all coming on and 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 what he was able to do 
was Alexis McAllister played in that Argentina game in Bolivia too. And, and at halftime, Klopp said, right, hands up, I've made a mistake, shouldn't have picked you. You're obviously too exhausted to play in this match. He'd got booked after four minutes. So he comes off, Diaz comes on. There's no notable dip in quality. In fact, Liverpool are much better in the second half than they were in the first. Very nice. What was behind Spurs's remarkable recovery? Meanwhile, late, late on against Sheffield United at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, they were 1-0 down with 97 minutes played. But in the course of 12 minutes of time added on at the end of the game, they managed to score twice. Trout up. Spurs are up. Richarlison. Kulusevski with him. Kulusevski! Remarkable stuff. How did, how did this work? What was the what was the turning point? So the turning point is the the arrival of shed loads of injury time. Over the last five years, there's been an average of 58 goals a season after the 90th minute. We've already had 18 this season, and we've only played four and not even five full game weeks. We're going to get this all season. Teams are psychologically, I think, managers included, if they have a lead, an unexpected lead after about 75 minutes or maybe 80 minutes, they just bed in and they run down the clock. And it just doesn't work anymore because not only do you get the, the added time, when you, your opponent sees that added time, it creates this kind of roar, especially if you're at home, that kind of builds pressure on you and, and then you make stupid mistakes. So you don't mark Richarlison three yards out on a corner and you give the ball away in your own half a minute later. As with the introduction of VAR, I think it's a really interesting thing for, that managers are going to have to deal with, particularly those struggling managers, because mm. Ange Postacoglu said after the game on Saturday, he, he delayed his substitutions, believing that there would be at least 10 minutes of added time. So he managers are clearly thinking about this as a tactical tool. And yeah, defensive managers are going to have to learn it because it, it really does invite pressure on you if, you if you're already sitting back and then you see 12, 13, 15 minutes. I think it was 16 at Villa this weekend. It's a huge amount of time. Paul Heckingbottom, the Sheffield United manager, also had plenty to say post-game uh, regarding the awarding of all that extra time and the referee's attitude to him when he was complaining about the way he they were treating his players essentially he, he he was accusing them of dictating tactics to his side can you yeah. do you see his point can you explain it to me his point is is that the referee said uh, we'll go and kick it basically Spurs players were hounding Sheffield United players on the edge of the box so the goalkeeper was delaying 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 taking the kick and then the ref said we'll just take it long then now I think as a delaying tactic, and other teams do this as well, is you pretend, you bring all your defenders back and pretend you're going to play it short. You wait five seconds, then you say, oh, actually, I'm not going to take it short. Spend another five seconds, all the defenders move back at the pitch, and then you knock it long, and you've wasted 25, 30 seconds of time. And I think that's what Sheffield United were doing. And so I think the ref said, look, if you haven't got a pass on, knock it long. It doesn't give you an excuse to wait for 20 seconds. Seems a bit of a mount out of a mole. I think that's probably the right thing to do. Tell him to get on with it. And karma gets you because you delay like that, you get 12 minutes and then you concede twice. It's, a, it's an offhand comment made by the referee, isn't it? He's not literally instructing Sheffield United what to do. It's it's <laughs> Bad form if he is as well. Yeah, like, I mean, that's exactly. bad news for Hackingbottom. If... Yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> It's just proper football man bull****. From Paul Hackingbottom, basically, isn't it? They don't understand the game. They're trying to run the game for us. One of those things that if that press conference had taken place an hour after the game finished rather than whatever it was, 10, 15 minutes, I'm sure he wouldn't have said that. He's just feeling the pressure for it. You know, his insistence that Ollie McBurney was shown a second yellow card for saying he'd had his shirt pulled when you could clearly see it was because of the foul that he had committed, which led to the free kick. Just, yeah. I mean, fair enough. He's under a lot of pressure. It's a stressful job. But I thought what he said was absolutely nonsense wow there you go Spurs with that victory off to their best start to a season since 1965 Mike Bowden says will Spurs win the league question mark exclamation mark question mark exclamation mark uh, which he does in honour of our chat on Thursday by the way also referencing that chat on punctuation Ivan Wainwright who says you probably know the question mark exclamation mark is called Matt an interrobang an interrobang Definitely, says Ivan, my favourite punctuation. Interrobang. Do you ever do those, Laurie? Oh, all the time. Um, You'll be using those in your Man United writing this week. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. How have Manchester United reached crisis point? Question mark, explanation mark. Right, nice. Uh, I suppose yeah. going to win the league? Uh, I hate to, what was it called? A carabang? Interrobang. 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 They're not going to win the carabang. They're out of that already. <laughs> yeah. 
I hate to burst his his uh, interrobang. It right. feels like that's it's, uh, but uh, no. I mean, Man City are obviously going to win the league. Um, they... But Spurs are good, aren't they? And and the kind of the, these kind of late, you know, the late comeback and the kind of certainly the atmosphere at, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has, has turned up a notch. I think this season, so you know, they can win quite a few games from what seem like difficult positions. Um, it reminded me of that. Is it Sir Alex Ferguson that said we never um, we never lose a game, we just run out of time. Nice. That was kind of that. That was kind of that vibe, wasn't it? The Spurs one there. If you were looking to build a case for a romantic title campaign, a la Leicester or whatever, you might point to the fact that Spurs don't have any European commitments and they'll have all week off uh, to uh, refine whatever their Ange magic is as they prepare for next weekend's games, which is a big one, the North London derby at the Emirates. Crikey. Anyway, Man City to win the title suggests Laurie. On, out on a limb there. Not, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not the wildest uh, prediction ever. City made it five wins out of five this weekend after going behind down at the London Stadium against West Ham. Oh, James Ward-Prowse with the goal here. Could Lovely you... stoop of a header. I'd call mm. that a textbook stooping from um, Ward-Prowse. Very nice. However, City came back and scored three. Could have scored plenty more as well mm, yeah and I sometimes find them um, a little bit hard to warm to because they're a bit of a sort of team of automatons a lot of the time so I like Jeremy Doku uh, I, I mean making a mistake in the first half but then just taking the game by the, the scruff of the neck from kickoff in the second half and being a winger 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 as Pep Guardiola um, called him but I also like that Erling Haaland has clearly got an actual personality, hasn't he? It's really, you know, when he when he scored his goal, his celebration was just just what you want to see from somebody who's had a lot of shots and they haven't gone in, and then one finally does go in. He's not he's not a kind of clinical, dull personality in in the way that most exceptional athletes are. And that's about all I've got to say about this game. Daniel's got something to say about this game, haven't you, Daniel? Well, interestingly, it was the the game in which since arriving in England, in which Erling Haaland's had the most shots, hmm. um, it does feel like not only is Guardiola making City more efficient, he's actually kind of reducing their general shot numbers, but making them closer to goal. He's also going to create this incredible monster where Haaland has already scored seven goals in five games. He missed five chances at the weekend, five big chances defined by Opta. When he calibrates, when that robot calibrates, he's going to score <laughs> bucket loads of goals this season. Uh, and he already has scored bucket loads of goals last season. But I mean, he really could go on a... He could have scored five or six easily at the weekend. And he looked so kind of confused when he misses a chance and so determined to then score one that it makes his celebration when he eventually scores, as Matt says, really funny. Because he's sort of like, obviously, obviously I've scored. Finally, I've scored. Next, he'll be let loose on Sverner Svesta. Mm. Mm. Red Star Belgrade. Uh, in the Champions League on Tuesday, West Ham also have European action. They, on Thursday, will be in the Europa League against Serbian side Bakatopola. What can you tell me about Bakatopola? The only thing I can tell you about Bakatopola is that they are the only team in the Europa League that I'd never heard of when the draw was made. Okay. Um, to the extent that I didn't, I wondered if they're one of those clubs that had slightly changed their name for a few years ago and I just missed it. But. They have changed their name in the history, but not from a name I've heard of to a name I've not heard of. Okay. Um, yeah, they, their ground is only four and a half thousand. It feels like a bit of a an impressive rise. I don't know if there's some sort of shady money behind it, but I don't think there is. Hmm. Um, yeah, they are another. You know, they're another success story for these competitions because uh, they got battered by Braga in Champions League qualifying, but because they get to drop into Europa League, it, everyone's a winner. Brilliant. We'll hear much more about the European fixtures in the Totally Football Show's European edition, which will be out slightly earlier this week in honour of the start of the various European competitions. Uh, should be with you last thing Monday, first thing Tuesday, as we discuss not only match day one in the Champions League and the Europa League and conference action, but also uh, some pretty remarkable results around the various big continental leagues in Ligue 1, Paris Saint-Germain, facing Nice at home and getting beaten 3-2. Inter taking on Milan in the derby and beating them 5-1. That's ahead of Milan's clash with Newcastle, of course, in the Champions League. And then there was a huge Bayern Munich by Leverkusen game, which saw Harry Kane opening the scoring, but it ending up 2-2. The, the free kick from Alex Grimaldo in that, in that game, 
quite astonishing. Anyway, we'll, we'll hear much more about that in Monday, Stroke Tuesday's European edition of the Totally Football Show. Matt, is there a, a What the EFL out soon? Yeah, there surely is. There'll be one uh, along at some point on Monday. Uh, I should think we'll be talking about Southampton Leicester, which didn't finish 9-0 uh, for one thing, although it was a resounding win for Leicester City. And I'm sure Cardiff beating Swansea will get a, a big mention as well in, in the big game of the season for, for both those two teams. And Aaron Ramsey rolling in a penalty in the way that he's rolling back the years in the championship. Very nice. Very nice. Oh, just on the subject of the EFL, Swindon... We were talking about some of the, the bad times for the Robins on Thursday, but right now, things are really rocking for them. They're, they're currently the top-scoring team in the country with 22 goals in seven games. That's an even better goal-per-game ratio than Brighton. They're third in League One. Fact fans. With Stone Cold Charlie Austin back and still banging the goals in for them, which is an, always a nice story, isn't it, when somebody goes back to the club where they made their name and, and helps them out? Very nice indeed. More of that perhaps in What the EFL. Next up for us, let's talk Villa Palace. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Aston Villa, 3-1 winners against Crystal Palace Saturday afternoon. Uh, Palace took the lead in this game through the prolific Odson Edouard. Uh, only Erling Haaland has in fact scored more Premier League goals in this campaign than Edouard, who's already got more for this season than he managed in the entirety of last season. Good Lord. Anyway, that was all remarkable enough. But just before stoppage time got underway, came the equaliser for Villa. And what an equaliser. Dinia into the 87th minute. Swung in towards Duran. Good hit. Oh, what a goal. What a goal from Jean Duran. The beautiful swivelled volley where he gets his thigh up so high that I, I could just feel my muscle tearing when he did that <laughs> if I had attempted that that's the, the beauty of being a professional athlete I suppose mm. so yeah that was that was a great goal and then we got the rare thing of the referee being well, sent over we had the Duran puns first yeah, so, yeah I was sort of Palace come undone mm, etc yeah, any yeah. any you want to pitch in with there any you've been saving up for this moment Daniel uh, Back to you, Matt. Then no, it made it made me the only one I could think. Yeah, it made me think of um, former Wolves player John De Wolf. Um, hungry oh like right, the wolf. hungry like but, um, the wolf. They, they Had they been one playing the Wolves day. when they did they? Oh, lovely yeah. Did they? Well, they, they did quite a few good ones on Match of the Day, and then I think Alan Shearer just got excited and was like, "He's not going to Rio anytime soon." And it was just you know, the, <laughs> you know when you're just like scrambling around at the very end. Right. <laughs> the, the the referee not taking VAR's advice did make me feel like we were going back to the ordinary world but yeah other than that what, what did you think to that one I, I, I thought fair so, enough so that he gave the penalty just to, just to preface so you had Duran's goal to equalise it and then the next goal for Villa is this controversial penalty which was again much discussed uh, post-match uh, Chris Richards with the tackle on Ollie Watkins getting the ball but also getting Watkins what, what, what was your verdict on this I liked that the referee went to the video monitor and still stuck by his decision just because, as you say, it's a rare uh, sight to see. And I, I thought that he did clip Watkins first and then got the ball. So it's sort of, you know, it's it's whatever the referee decides on the pitch, uh, in my view, that 
if he, if he hadn't given it and just given a, a, a corner, you know, fair enough. Um, but I think it's a perfectly valid penalty to award. Daniel? Yeah, I mean, that's how I want VAR to work. Was there a clear and obvious error? Not really. The referee looks at it and thinks, yeah, that's what I thought I saw. I think it's a penalty. We're going to carry on. That's how I want it to work. The problem is, is that it isn't how it's worked for so long and there's been so much re-refereeing that what is meant to be a definitive call ends up just being an extra layer of the talking point, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't have a problem with it. Okay. Very good. Villa, thus, with that victory, are in seventh place. They're taking on Chelsea next week. Is that right? Yeah, Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Mm. Do you fancy them for that, Matt? Villa? Mm. Uh, well, yes, you'd have to say. I mean, Villa are playing midweek, aren't they? That's the that's the X factor, I suppose. That Mauricio Pochettino's not had many free weeks yet to um, to work with his players when they've not been away. So, yeah, it depends how Villa get on on right. Thursday, I suppose. Villa on Thursday are in Conference League action away at Ligia Warsaw. Hmm. One of the most keenly anticipated midweek ties, I mentioned a short time ago, is Milan's clash with Newcastle at San Siro. Newcastle, who ended a three-game losing streak with a narrow 1-0 win over Brentford. Again, there was a controversial penalty in this one. Mm. wasn't there yeah it's 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 one of those horrible ones isn't it they always get given but the the fact that Anthony Gordon's kind of turning away from the ball to make sure he gets the contact tells me that he's not that interested in getting the ball which was probably going to run out of play anyway so yeah you've seen them given Clive but Mm. you'd rather they weren't okay well were Newcastle worth their win Daniel yeah they were because the they they had a goal disallowed that was equally soft as the penalty in the other way um and it's a big old win because Eddie Howe chose to what their Champions League group does is it basically bars Howe from rotating in Europe which meant he left Sandro Tonali and Alexander Isak on the bench left Harvey Barnes on the bench for this and given that they'd only taken three points in four games um that was a risk there would have been you know murmurings of discontent if they'd have drawn or lost to Brentford I think and then he'd have made changes for the game so kind of a doubly big win for Eddie Howe and now yeah now he has Tonali and Isak fresh and and Milan obviously suffered that thumping against against Inter so yeah I I think they'll probably go and win in San Siro on Tuesday yeah I, I think I think we at this stage with when when new English teams get into the Champions League or get into Europe I think we, we, we're at risk of thinking, well, it's Newcastle have not played Champions League football for ages against the big Milan. But the Premier League is so dominant that there's no excuse for them not qualifying from that group now, even if it is Dortmund and mm. even if it is Milan. So, yeah, I think, I mean, a draw would probably be a decent result if you beat them at home. But I think they'll, yeah, I don't see any reason why they can't win it. It's a, it's a phenomenal group. Group F, this is not just Milan, but also Paris Saint-Germain and Borussia Dortmund. Uh, but we, we'll see. Uh, again, much more on that in Tuesday's Totally Football Show. Laurie, any thoughts on this? Or would you like to express an opinion on Fulham's 1-0 victory over Luton? <laughs> um, I think it's fantastic that Newcastle are back in the Champions League. A bit of spice. I, th- I was reminded of um, Leeds being in Champions League back in the day when, when Daniel was mentioning about you know the kind of freshness that uh, an English club perhaps can take into the continent. And uh, yeah, Maybe Newcastle can do the same here. Uh, the Fulham Luton game. I mean, I mean Luton have been kind of shipping quite a lot of goals. So Fulham perhaps um, they, they they got the the par for for one goal. Uh, they, they needed that, didn't they? I think Fulham to to kind of get off the mark in a meaningful way. Um, I know they've had a you know win before this, but uh, yeah, they needed to to beat Luton. I mean Luton are yeah zero points four games in minus eight goal difference. It's going to look like a long season for them. I really hope Luton stick with Rob Edwards. They, they remind me a bit of, of Forrest at this stage last season in that they just haven't found a way of playing in the Premier League. They they might well stumble across one, but it's either you stick with Rob Edwards or you bring in a big Sam-style mercenary, probably end up going down anyway, or another unproven Premier League manager, in which case you might as well stick with Edwards. But they've made a load of signings will be really good for them in the championship next season if they get relegated it's just going to be a painful season for them but I I genuinely think that there is nobody that they could attract to take that job who would do a significantly better job than Rob Edwards who's proven in the past that he is capable of figuring this kind of thing out and, and finding a way of playing and, and picking up some points Benjamin Laniado on Thursday positing that Nathan Jones mm. might be hovering behind a Rob Edwards 
Uh, yeah, well, actually, he's keeping himself quite fit as well, I can tell you, James. Uh, oh, yeah? Because I saw him on transfer deadline day uh, running around Oldley Edge, Wilmslow. I went for a bit of a run because I did the Great North Run last weekend. So I was you know, doing my own training for that. And he was looking in good shape. He was topless uh, running towards me. Uh, gave me a little wink as he went past. Uh, so I actually, I covered <laughs> him when he was at Stoke City, but I don't think he remembered me. Uh, right. so, but yeah, he's uh, he's in good nick. So yeah, right. if he uh, if he gets the call, I'm sure he's ready for it. It's Nathan, been a Nathan Jones topless running towards you winking is a terrifying prospect. <laughs> but if you were going to ask me to name one manager who I thought would run past me topless and wink at me, well, dude, it would definitely be Nathan Jones. Sorry. It gave me a bit of inspiration, you know. I was like, wow, yeah, he's 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 setting a good pace and he's he's looking happy. So come on, I can do this. <laughs> Been a while since we saw Nathan Jones go on a good run. Hey, oh, superb. Good. Well, there you go. That is the Premier League weekend so far. Although there is still Nottingham Forest's clash with Burnley Monday night. Any other big conclusions that we've not touched on from the weekend's events, Daniel? Perhaps. On Fulham, I, I just thought it was interesting that they, they are sticking with, for the moment, starting Raul Jimenez up front, who has now gone 28 Premier League games without a goal. Although he Roten did stretching. score for, for Mexico. Yeah, he yeah. did. But they, they're bringing Carlos Vinicius off the bench, who scored twice in about a total of about an hour this season. I just think, I know that this Premier League season is going to be weaker than last, but they need to get points on the board, Fulham, because that Mitrovic to Jimenez is potentially a fairly extraordinary downgrade from from last season to this if they also lost Pelinho in January and they should be considering themselves very lucky they didn't lose him already I suppose um, yeah Jimenez just it looked it looked quite sad watching him and, you know I watched like an hour of this game and he just looked really sad and he got brought off for Vinicius and immediately Fulham looked better so I wonder if that might be a bit of a shift in starting lineup over the next few weeks mm. alright enjoy uh, Matt and Daniel your trip to uh, the city ground Monday evening for the visit of Burnley. Mm. Mm, New yes. Forest, yeah. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing Ibrahim Sangare for the first time, having read Nick Miller's comprehensive profile of him on The right. Athletic. There you go. Laurie, what are you up to this week? Munich on Tuesday. Of course. We haven't even mentioned Bayern Munich taking on mm. Man United. That's so huge. Yeah, big one. Bayern had a, an interesting game against Leverkusen, didn't they, on Friday night? Um, I don't think all's quite right there Thomas Tuchel you know a little bit of uh, friction I suppose um, as is ever the case with, with Thomas Tuchel and hierarchies um, but yeah the Harry Kane uh, you know situation is going to be one to watch and, and also Rosmus Hoyland I mean I'm sure he'll start again after you know as we touched on Tenag bringing him off United could have gone for one or the other this summer they, they went for Hoyland so that'll be really interesting uh, match up to witness uh, but yeah it's Oktoberfest uh, even though we're only in September mm. uh, in Munich so looking forward to that I'm sure you are well listen have a great time uh, it's going to be a busy week of football as I mentioned loads more Euro previews in Tuesday show and then Thursday uh, we'll have Duncan Alexander, Michael Cox and Raphael Honigstein to give their thoughts on the Tuesday-Wednesday action. So uh, join us for that, a listener. Uh, for now, though, it's many thanks to Matt, uh, to Daniel, to Laurie, producer Charlie, and you, listener. Have a great week, and we'll catch up with you soon on The Totally Football Show. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.